Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, oh, I always promise you're in the right place because it's true. I'm going to quote Carl Wilson from the Beach Boys. Now, we're not doing a show about rock and roll, but just bear with me for a second. He once said, we just have a way of getting ourselves into hot water. Let me just let that resonate for a second. We just have a way of getting ourselves into hot water. Okay, I think that's the perfect lead-in to our topic. We are talking today about social selling. Let me get started. How social selling is conducted and how a brand is portrayed in social media. Now, we're talking about whether it's done by a PR department, by the sales force, by an individual worker or many individuals in a large company, whether it's done by a small enterprise or even a startup entrepreneur. How it's done can have big, serious, and maybe most important, costly ramifications for the company, good or bad. My goodness, that's a lot to to digest. Let's turn the mirror on your company. You out there, you're listening to us around the world here on the Business Channel. You're interested in good business insights, information. Well, that's what we're going to do. Let's look at you. Are you paying attention to the pitfalls lurking close by in everything you do on social media, everything you do on social selling, how you contact your prospects, the information you convey, the attitude you convey, how you're using company intellectual property assets? It all matters. If you're not paying attention, you could fall into one of those pitfalls and come out a little bit messy and a little bit poorer. So we're going to invite you to listen for the next 55 minutes minutes and take notes. I have three experts and our topic today, if you haven't guessed, is social selling, social media, and the law. How is your brand doing? Let's hold up that mirror. I have three experts. As I said, we always have experts here. And today, let me just tell you who's on the panel. First up, we're welcoming back Renee L. Duff, Esquire. She is an intellectual property attorney for 17 years who's been involved in the business side of intellectual property for I want, I don't want to say a quarter of a century, 25 years. Renee is joining us. She's been on many of our shows here on Coffee Break. Joining her today is Peter Hoppenfeld, an attorney at law and a seasoned transactional commercial attorney with direct marketing, internet marketing, distribution, licensing, marketing, branding, and operational expertise. We hit all the high points of the topic with Peter Hoppenfeld. Looking forward to speaking with him. And rounding out the panel is SAP's own Kirsten Boileau, director of digital experience, and Kirsten is the sponsor uh, and a regular guest on our series. We just did one yesterday with her, Social Selling with Game Changers. What a panel. So let me get started. I'm going to introduce Renee L. Duff with a quote she sent me from Earl Nightingale. Those of you not familiar with his name, he was he was with us from 1921 to 1989. He was an American radio personality, a writer, a respected speaker and author. He mostly dealt with topics about human character development, motivation, excellence, meaningful existence, and he was known as the Dean of Personal Development. And he was the author of The Strangest Secret, a spoken word record he produced back in 1956 that sold over one million copies and became the first 
gold record spoken word recording, one of the greatest motivational books of all time. So let me read the quote Renee has picked from The Vast Lore of Earl Nightingale. Quote, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. Renee L. Duff, how are you, Renee? I'm good, Bonnie. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for joining us. I know you're very, very busy, but we are want to tap into your legal expertise. So tell me, are you a big follower of the words of wisdom of Earl Nightingale, and how does this quote apply to our topic? <laughs> um, I am a big fan of Earl Nightingale, and that quote is from uh, The Strangest Secret. So um, I've, I've listened, I've read, it's, you know, and it's very uh, motivating and inspirational toward, um, you know, since... I spend a lot of time working with entrepreneurs and small businesses. It is what success is means different things to different people. So as long as you're, you know, progressively heading toward a goal that you find that's worthy and, um, you know, you, you can, you can have success in, in that regard. So I just, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan and I've been a big fan of the Nightingale Conant Corporation for many, many years. Renee, I just looked in this long bio I pasted here into my notes from Wikipedia, and I I missed this when I was setting up the notes last night. Earl Nightingale was the voice in the early 1950s of Sky King, the hero of a radio I'm going to cry, the hero of a radio adventure series, and he was a WGN radio host from 1950 to 56. I remember Sky King. I was a baby. I was just a little girl. Oh, boy, I shouldn't admit that. But well, I guess I have to admit that I was very, very young. But, Renee, I remember. Do you remember? No, you're way too young. Sky King. Have you ever heard of him? I have not. I think he was a an airplane pilot. And I think, you know what? I think I saw The Adventures of Sky King. It might have been a TV show later. I'm going to have to Google that. Well, Renee, thank you so very much for opening this conversation. We're delighted to have you back. You are one of our our cherished go-to legal experts here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. So thank you. And I have to thank you for referring us to our next guest, Peter Hoppenfeld, attorney at law. And Peter has sent me a quote from the revered, recently gone Yogi Berra, Hall of Fame baseball player for the New York Yankees and a successful manager for the Yankees and the New York Mets. His full name was Lawrence Peter Yogi Berra. He was one of only five players to win the American League Most Valuable Player Award three times And here's an interesting thing. Yogi Berra quit school after the eighth grade. He was known for his malapropisms as well as pithy and paradoxical quotes. I don't think he even knew what those words were, such as, it ain't over till it's over, while speaking to reporters. He once said, I really didn't say everything I said. Okay, here's the quote that Peter has selected from the lore of Yogi Berra. Quote, when you see a fork in the road, take it. Peter Hoppenfeld, welcome to Coffee Break. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate uh, your time and thinking of me and including me in this program. We're delighted to have you. I know you're calling from somewhere gorgeous. Where are you, on Martha's Vineyard right now, Peter? I, I am. I apologize for the connection, but it is what it is. You sound good, actually. You sound good. I can hear the sunshine. I can almost see the beach. Is it a clear day, beautiful blue waters, clear sand? Give me a picture well, it's here. It's actually a work day, but my office today is a beach chair under a big shady tree. So, we all feel um, very sorry for you. <laughs> well, thanks for the wonders of modern technology. I can work from anywhere, and I do. I appreciate that. So when you see a fork in the road, take it. Great quote. Yogi Berra, you a big fan. And how does that apply to our topic? We're talking today about social selling, social media, the law, and brands. Go ahead, Peter. 
you know, I, it's, I like to say you reinvent yourself every uh, couple of years. With the change of technology, that happens even more and more. So I've uh, been practicing for almost 30 years in direct marketing, and I've changed my approach because the tools keep changing almost instantly, instantaneously right now. As it pertains to social media and social selling, unless you're nimble in this economy and in this technology world of technological changes almost every day, week, month, mm-hmm. then you fall behind. So I, I think you need to just follow the path and make smart choices, but be nimble and, and right on your feet in order to really take advantage of it. Thank you, Peter. Love the quote. And and just a quick overview of your thoughts on the legality. Is it very hard to keep up? I know the law changes a lot, too. This is a new field. Renee specializes in IP intellectual property. The laws on social and who owns what and who sends what to whom. We know there's a big brouhaha here in the U.S. about email servers and privacy and classification. But in terms of businesses, is it a landmine out there? Renee says there are pitfalls lurking. What do you, How dangerous is it for companies to do social selling today, Peter? You know, honestly, the law is way behind the day-to-day ins and outs of doing business. So for my clients and in my practice, I focus on best practices as the, the first step in being compliant because, honestly, the, the statutes, the regulations, even a lot of the contracts that I'm dealing with with clients are so behind the times, it, it will take time for the law to catch up with technology, and by the time they do, it will already be obsolete. So in the, in the marketplace, it's really a function of being aware of what the technology brings and being proactive in terms of the issues that you, you should see if you're on top of, you know, the dynamic of your business. So it's kind of a wishy-washy answer, but there's no direct, you know, solution right now. Yes, privacy is a big issue, but it's not as much legal as it is policy, and it's not as much legal as it is best practice. Okay, very interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more from you. I just tweeted that the law is way behind the ins and outs of doing business and social selling. So there, you are now more famous than you were two, two seconds ago. Thank you, Peter. Really appreciate it. And let's go to our third panelist. She is Kirsten Boileau, Director of Digital Experience and the voice of the trainer of, the advocate of, the expert on social selling here at SAP. And Kirsten has selected a wonderful quote from Peter Drucker, one of our favorites. He lived from 1909 to 2004. He was an Austrian-born American management consultant and a leader in the development of management education. And he invented or came up with what we call, he's called the founder of modern management and best known as, uh, was his management by objectives. He coined the term knowledge worker way back in 1959. Wow, that's a long time ago. I'm, I'm scanning his bio here. Okay, so here's the quote Kirsten has selected from Mr. Drucker. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Kirsten, how are you today? I am wonderful, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Very. What's the weather up there in Waterloo, Canada, by the way? I usually ask later, but since we got a, a report from uh, Peter on Martha's Vineyard, I'm wondering, and Renee and I both know it's, it's going to be in the mid-90s here in New York. So what's going on up in Waterloo? Uh, it's hot and humid and sunny, um, about 32 degrees here. Um, which, well, that, of course, that's Celsius. Uh, so I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. I'll, yeah, I'll 90s, look it up and convert it. High 90s, probably. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's hot. That's what we need to know. So uh, this quote from Peter Drucker, how does this relate to our topic, social selling, social business, what you excel in, Kirsten, and the law, how's your brand right now? Talk to me. 
Well, I just I was looking for different things that would resonate around uh, social media and, and moving it forward and, and how, um, you know, and, and recognizing from what Peter said as well that, you know, the law is so far behind and, uh, in, in being able to keep up. And I don't know if it will, because social media moves so fast, I don't know if it ever will be able to keep up. Um, and I just was thinking along the lines of how we can, you know, move things forward. And, and it just it struck me that, that, you know, that very point, the, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And, and honestly, that's a, a lot of what we do here at SAP. We run into situations time and time again where, uh, you know, we haven't um, come up with a way to do something at SAP, nor has anybody at none, nor has a vendor been able to do that. And so we kind of... We create it. We make it happen um, when it comes to social selling, and uh, we do that time and time again. And so I just thought it was really very appropriate for talking about social selling and, and, uh, and social media. Thank you, Kirsten. I have a feeling we could, I, I think the four of us could agree that social selling and doing business on social media is a brave new frontier. Renee, can you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and that's, I agree completely with both Kristen and Peter, and it's funny because it does sort of come back to the worthy goal of, uh, of Roll Nightingale, that the worthy goal is to come up with the best practices, because exactly what Peter said, the law, you know, catches up so far behind, and with technology, it's already obsolete, so... <laughs> There you go. We're all on this brave new frontier. Peter, would you agree with my, my comment that this is a brave new frontier and frontier implying that anybody who goes there, I'm thinking of Starship Enterprise, how appropriate that Enterprise was part of that. Uh, and we weren't even, they weren't even talking about business. Do you, do you think that it is anybody who goes there dares to dip their toe in those brand new waters in that no, far off no, place? Honestly, called- honestly, Bonnie, I really disagree. It, go it, ahead. It's not, it's, it's a frontier that is constantly changing. We're just going from planet to planet. So there are very uh, savvy, very successful sellers on social media who have figured out strategies that work, and they, they are constantly experimenting and looking for the next planet. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Brave New Frontier has already been in place for 10 years, uh, oh. and it's just changing as algorithms change and as channels change. Good perspective. I appreciate that. Now, what about the frontier of the law and those planet-hopping people? What do you think about that, Peter? You know, I'll, I'll kind of, again, say that the law comes about as a result of problems, people having conflicts and problems and situations. Now, the current situation in terms of email servers with Hillary Clinton, that's not something that's relevant to the average person. That has mm-hmm. national security implications that, that nobody else in the world really has, Okay. Certainly, you know, executives, business people need to be careful about being hacked, being careful about changing passwords, doing those obvious things, but that's all best practice. Um, but, you know, moving forward, the law will, will react to hot topics that you can get consensus on, like the right to privacy, for example. The contractual issues, like business relationship issues, will end up, you know, the law will evolve in as a result of conflict and resolution because laws are made because there are lawsuits and judges rule on the extension of common theory to apply to a situation and that's law and then there's law that's made by congress or state state legislatures and that's much much slower so as these issues come up between business people 
you know, there will be best practices, and because of conflict, there will be court rulings that will end up being a law. It's going to take time. Thank you. Very insightful. And you know what? I'm going to circle back to Renee, and it's time for our little personal episode, our segment called What's in Your Cup Today? So, Renee, I know you're in New York. What are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show? Renee L. Duff. Uh, right now, since it is so warm out, I went for the uh, the nice smoothie of frozen banana, peanut butter, and cacao. <laughs> so, wow! To, uh, keep myself cool. That sounds lovely. It sounds good. Is what's this? Is there a natural sweetener in there? Is that the banana you said, or is there anything in there that you've added? Um, you know what? There's coconut coconut cream. I <laughs> so uh, know we get to the it helps. Yes. <laughs> Thank, thank you for the reality check. I was waiting for that. Peter, I know you're, uh, you're calling from Martha's Vineyard. You're in a car and a cell phone. I, I don't know if you've got anything refreshing to drink right now, but after you leave the car and go back to whatever you're doing, what would you be drinking today? You know, it's, it's going to be pretty boring, but I'm going to be drinking some, some, some nice cold ice water this morning, but some white wine later, and there's a story I can tell about the white wine whenever it's relevant for you, Bonnie. Tell it right now. We want to hear it. Okay. So, um, my wife and I love to go to a particular restaurant out in the country, and it's a BYOB. And, you know, people ask me, as you ask me, what what a business should be doing in order to protect themselves in this, in the world of social selling, social media. And I, my response when I, when I speak is that it's all about impeccable service. If you give impeccable service and your customers are happy, you're less likely to have issues. So, we, we went to this, our favorite restaurant, BYOB, have the bottle of wine on the counter, get to the restaurant, realize we left it at home. And I walk in, and we, we were checking in for our table, and I say to the hostess, oh, my goodness, we left our bottle of wine at home. Ah, it's too far to go back. And the assistant hostess looked at me and said, excuse me, sir, but I think the last time you were here, you left a bottle of wine, and we've kept it cool just for when you return. And I'm going, wow, this is interesting. And we sit down, and they bring out the bottle of wine, and they serve it to us, and we're having a lovely dinner. And, of course, it's not my bottle of wine. It's just this restaurant being going above and beyond and giving us impeccable service. And we are saying, wow, this is amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, I could share this story when I'm trying to talk about best practices. So we have this lovely dinner with this illegal bottle of wine, which was served to us because <laughs> they believe in hospitality. And I'm going, oh, this is great. But now the next challenge is how are they going to bill us for this? Yes. This would, you know, fill in the, the entire story. How are they going to bill us? And the check came, and they called it special number one. And I, I just felt, found the whole story, and I use it when I talk to clients and, and to groups about the customer being number one as a great example of, of above and beyond the getting look of laws, of making the customer happy and comfortable and making them feel special. So I'm having ice water this morning, and I'll have a glass of wine tonight. Wow, and what's your favorite uh, Your favorite wine? Did you say white wine, and what's your favorite? Are you a Chardonnay guy or a Sauvignon Blanc? Uh, I'm probably or a Sauvignon Blanc guy. How did I know that? I just had a feeling, Peter. Thank you very much. That was a great, that was a fabulous story, actually, about uh, what was that quote that Kirsten gave us, uh, the best way to predict the future is to create it? Yeah, I think they just did. Very creative and clever. Kirsten Boylo in Waterloo, Canada, what are you drinking today? Well, I just finished my uh, Tetley Orange Pico Tea, and now I have a big glass of water for the rest of the show. Um, my, I'm at home today, and 
working out of my home office, and so I only have access to Orange Pico tea here instead of all the fun stuff I have at work. Okay, well, I'm glad you're keeping cool, and you know me, Kirsten, and Renee does. Uh, Peter doesn't know me well yet. Just cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug. I have a yellow straw to celebrate the sunshine here on Long Island. Peter, they do not let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. I'll just let that sit there. We're going to take a quick break now and give everybody a pause that refreshes. Very interesting topic. We're talking about social selling, social media, social networking, whatever you call it, and the law. How many minefields are lurking? How many pitfalls are around every corner or not? Maybe you're doing the right thing. Maybe you're steering clear of disputes, but can't always be sure. So we're talking officially about social selling, social media, and the law. How is your brand doing? Special guests today are Renee L. Duff, Esquire, attorney Peter Hoppenfeld, and social selling, social media's expert at SAP, Kirsten Boylow. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Justin, out. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. And we're back with a very interesting topic. We may have to do part two. I don't know how much we'll cover, but the topic is social selling, social media, and the law. How is your brand doing? We are speaking today with Renee L. Duff, Esquire, attorney at law Peter Hoppenfeld, and Kirsten Boylow, social selling expert. And we're going to start the roundtable with some notes that Renee L. Duff sent me before. Since she's an IP intellectual property specialist expert, uh, we are going to start with a comment from her and her notes that I think will we'll kick off this in a great conversation. Renee says, my property is not your property. Knowing what is permissible use of third-party intellectual property. Okay, kids, we're talking music, photos, blogs, social media, comments, testimonials. This is extremely important. Do not assume fair use covers you. Renee, sounds like a hot topic, so talk to us. Um, so it's interesting because in, with intellectual property, there you're thinking about it from two different perspectives, really. So if you're the the business that owns the intellectual property, you know you will handle um, other people's usage of your intellectual property uh, differently than you know an outsider might handle um, 
or might think they can use your intellectual property. So in that case, um, a lot of people come to the idea that, oh, well, if I just, if I put something out there, if I use a photo, if I, you know, take a clip of, uh, of a video or some music, oh, you know, I can use a small portion of it and, and it's fine. Um, and, and that's not really the case. And so you, as the person who wants to go out there and tweet something or post something on Facebook or however that, that works for you, you really need to know what you can and can't get away with putting up there. Um, and if you put something up there, you have to be really, you have to understand that the terms and conditions of the various social media platforms may actually create a situation where what you put up there then becomes their property. So it's, mm. it's very, um, it can be very convoluted and complicated. So, you know, you have to think hard and, and understand what you're doing and where you're doing it um, from the person's perspective of, you know, I'm out there tweeting. But then on the brand side, you know, you also have to look at, okay, well, what, what am I going to consider an actual infringement? Because sometimes, you know, people are actually tweeting or, or providing information on Facebook and other Pinterest, app, you know, applications where they're actually helping your brand. So it, it can get very complicated. Renee, let me ask you a question. Uh, I probably shouldn't be asking this, but you know me and I will. I am tweeting what you and Kirsten and Peter are saying here on live radio. I'm putting it on Twitter. I'm making comments like my property is not your property, colon, fair use with a hashtag because I assume there's a hashtag and I'm putting your name. I don't have your Twitter handle, Renee L. Duff Esquire. Am I violating anything by taking from the notes you sent me for this live radio show heard on the business channel on World Talk Radio? Am I violating anything? Because tell me now before I hit post, please. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've agreed to come on to your program and I've agreed that, you know, basically what I say is is going to be um, broadcast on the radio and in various other social media channels. So in that regard, you know, I'm fully aware of what I'm doing. Um, but and that, that's sort of the point. You need to be fully aware of what you're doing because, you know, the, the person who creates intellectual property, the beauty of it is that you get to choose who can use it and who can't use it. And, it, you know, and that, that's your right by the person who, you know, who owns this. So, um, yes, go ahead and tweet. <laughs> I just freely. hit post. I just, I held my breath. My heart stopped for a second. I said, damn, I've been doing this for five years. I've posted probably tens of thousands of tweets quoting my guests and the information they send me before the show. And now I'm, now I'm asking a lawyer if it's okay. Well, that's how open and honest we are here on Game Changers. Thank you, Renee. Very interesting. Peter Hoppenfeld, I bet you have something to say on this. Intellectual property, fair use. Talk to us, yeah, please. Yeah, you, you guessed right. People think that if it's on the Internet, it's free. It's yours. It's, it's, it's fair game. And, that's, and, and this, that's not true. And where it comes about on a daily basis, and I, when I and I have common clients deal with this all the time. You're, you're a marketer, you're a company, and you grab a photograph off of the Google search of someone, of something, of a scene. It's not just free, Okay. And Getty Images will come knocking at your door and ask you for money because it's, it's something that you should be paying a license fee for. Mm -hmm. Now, a license might cost you 100 but if you use it without permission, it's going to cost you 1000 Or, you know, another example, I have clients. A lot of the platforms we're talking about, these social media platforms, 
started as social media connectivity tools, but have become selling tools. People have mm-hmm. figured out how to make it commercial. So YouTube, for example, wasn't always commercial. It was a sharing of video. Well, I have a client that did early in its business created 17 exercise videos before they were selling anything, and they put music to it, and they didn't think twice because it was available. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if they paid for the license, it was, could have cost them about $100 a song. That mm-hmm. translates to what? 1700 bucks. And guess mm-hmm. what happened five years later? What? It cost them $70,000 <gasps> for the infringement. Oh, my word. So just because it's available with the click of a mouse doesn't mean it's yours. Very interesting. Thank you. Uh, any other examples you want to give us before I, I get Kirsten's POV on this? Oh, my God. Video, audio, uh, graphics, you know. I mean, you, you need to be careful that you own what you own. And that you also need to protect your own trademarks and make stuff like this. You need to copyright your content. Uh, you need to be careful that your websites have the right disclaimers to, to tell the world, hey, it's mine. I think you're right, Bonnie. We could have, like, two or three shows. I, I think we're going to because this this affects everybody. Kirsten, let's get your point of view on this because this is what you do. You train people in social selling and using social media and creating brands and creating relationships. Does the law come into this conversation, Kirsten? And what's your reaction to what Renee and Peter have shared with us on intellectual property and using what is freely, quote-unquote freely, available on the Internet? Well, I must say that as I was preparing for this uh, this show today, I, I was thinking, you know what? I think I really just need to sit back and listen. I'm not sure that I can I can contribute a whole lot because I've got a whole lot of questions more than anything. Um, but uh, I, I think that there's a lot to say about um, when it comes to to social media. We're very careful here at SAP in what I'm. You know, when I'm training and when I have my trainers train, one of the first things we talk about is um, our governance and social media policies, and uh, you know what we can't, what people can and can't say, and what they can and can't use. Um, actually, I have a, an interesting um, uh, story about you know the, the background photo on your LinkedIn profile. Um, someone in one of our regions had is actually a, a pretty good idea. Um, to take our brand images, um, we have an image library here at SAP, and, and you know all of our branding kind of fits within that those those images. And so they were taking some of those images and and um, using them as that background photo. But I we had to make sure that that passed by our branding team first. And some people had done it, and we had to go back to them and say, look, those images have been have been um, licensed only for corporate use and not for personal use, and so they had to take mm. those down. So that, I, I mean, I've, I've experienced it here at SAP and that, you know, we are running into those kinds of things, that things are not necessarily freely available and you have to make sure that you are properly um, permit, uh, given permission to, to actually use those, those things. And we try to be very, very careful. Now, I'm sure that in some ways um, the law hasn't caught up, but in some ways there, there are definitely things that we need to be um, clear about when we're training people that, you know, be careful don't just use something that you think is available. You have to make sure you investigate and use it properly. 
Well, there you go, and that's why you're here on the show, Kirsten, because you're a practitioner and you do have good questions and insights, and you're in the trenches, and that's why it's important. So in a way, you're representing the recipient of the information we are getting from Renee and Peter, who are attorneys and, and know their stuff. So uh, it's very appropriate that you be here, uh, Kristen, <laughs> Kirsten, and thank you so much. And no, you're, you're definitely, your questions, your comments are all, all part of what the audience, I believe, would be asking. Renee, you want to wrap up this IP question before I move to something from Peter's notes? Any? comments on what Peter added or what Kirsten expressed? Um, sure. I think, you know, what both of them have have sort of expressed and, and probably the best way to wrap this all up is it is, um, it's always the best practice to go and get permission <laughs> because then you will know that you're not, you know, you're not going to have a problem going forward. Is it always going to happen that, you know, somebody's going to actually find your infringement and come after you and, and file either a lawsuit or, or some other type of action against you. Um, no, it's not going to happen every time, but it's, you know, it, it's just one of those things that I think um, my mother used to teach um, uh, a special ed, and one of the things that I used to try to explain to her was that, you know, these kids would go online and they would download music without paying for it. And and what people don't seem to understand is that, you know, there's no difference today, and I guess this dates me um, and probably everybody else on the panel here, but, you know, you couldn't walk into a Tower Records and walk out with a CD because, you know, there would be a security guard there and he would be, you know, <laughs> stopping you and arresting you. But because it's so easy is the problem, but you have to really think about, you know, what went into and exactly what Christian was saying about, you know, the creation of the brand and the images and what you want to portray to the world. That, you know, people spend tons of money and time on that. So, um, you you just can't assume that you know oh well because it's up there and it's available you know i can take it because it's if you put yourself in the other person's shoes this is you know the example i always give to people is you know if you were the artist if you were the um you know the musician that created that that work you know how would you feel if somebody just came and took it and threw it up there and used it for whatever purposes they wanted without compensating you or at least crediting you so um, these are all things that you, you really, um, it's, <laughs> if you think about it in those terms, then the usage of other intellectual property, it becomes a simple, a simple topic because you don't do it unless you have permission. Thank you, Renee. Very interesting. I love your example of walking out without paying for a music CD when all of our media was physical then you had to pay or you had to be given a, a, a voucher that you can, you can take this out. Uh, I was friends for many, many years with a gentleman who was not a household name. His name was Irvin Drake, E-R-V-I-N, Drake. Peter, you may know him or may have heard of him. He was a songwriter from way back in the day. He wrote the score for What Makes Sammy Run, uh, which was a Broadway play starring Robert Goulet years mm-hmm. ago. He wrote Quando, Quando, Quando. He wrote A Room Without Windows. He wrote, um, uh, I believe, Every Drop of Rain That Falls. He wrote amazing American songbook, but he never really became outside of the industry. But the reason I'm bringing this up is Irvin, who just passed away about a year and a half, actually almost two years ago. Irvin lived here in my community on Long Island. I met him when I was doing a fundraiser and needed somebody to write a song. And he graciously agreed and brought a chorus of people to to sing the song on a three-hour telethon I was hosting. But Irvin was a, a biggie in the music industry, and he was a proponent, an advocate for 
Music is something that someone created. They make their living for it. You must abide by license rules. You can't just steal it. You can't just play it in a restaurant or at an event without checking on the licensing. So I was aware of this. And by the way, I believe he said he became very unpopular with the media when he took this stance. He wasn't invited to speak at so many places because he was a hardliner on credit where credit is due. As you just said, Renee, walking out without paying for the CD. Somebody made their living creating that. So that's I'm off my soapbox now. So Peter Hoppenfeld, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about privacy policies. I'll read this. You say, the role of privacy policies in governing the use of opt-in information and online-derived customer information. Can you uh, explain that for us, Peter, and how does it sure. relate to our social selling? Go ahead. Well, you know, it's those disclaimers, those terms and conditions that uh, are at the bottom of people's home pages or landing pages, and it, you know, people, a lot of people just gloss over them and think, "Well, that's not not important." Those terms and conditions, but but in fact, they're very very important. And you know, I, I say all the time, it's not something. Let me back up. It's remarkable. Clients will come to me; they have have pretty good traction and success going on. They're, they're making money, there's, they have customers, they have a community, they're building a list, they're making sales. And I look at their privacy policy in terms of service, and I say, where'd you get this from? And they go, oh, I copied it from my cable company, I copied it from the phone company, I copied it from the newspaper, I copied it from the plumber down the street. Well, that's not good enough, because the world, as we've already said, is changing, we're going planet to planet, and privacy policy in this context, talks about your ability to collect someone's email address, for example. You, you see it all the time, you know, mm-hmm. get this free uh, special report in, in exchange for your email, or you are you opt into a blog, to um, a newsletter. Uh, well, the people who are gaining those email addresses want to be able to use that, whether it's just to communicate with you or mm-hmm. this community they're building, or potentially sell you something or to do a co-venture marketing relationship with a third party. And you really can't use that information, let alone the information you might gather because somebody bought something. If you're on Amazon.com and you buy something, well, think about the information they're gathering from you. They're gathering your name, your address, your credit card information. They uh, might do do a survey and they get a sense of where you live, how much, where you work, how how old you are, uh, and they want to use that information. Well, the only way to use it is to get your permission, and that's what privacy policies do. Um, so, you know, if you're in using social media, if you're gathering email addresses and personal information from customers or community members or fans, whatever you want to call them, you need to set forth the rules, and your audience needs to agree to the rules and know what they are so that you can contact them using an email address, so they can, you can use the kind of demographic information you're gathering to craft a campaign. Because let's remember, social selling is all about social media platforms that have things called algorithms that determine what you see. So I hope everybody who's listening understands that if you're using Gmail, the ads and the information you see all around that screen is different than the person sitting next to you. So, Bonnie, you're seeing things different from Renee. Renee's seeing mm-hmm. things different from me because... We have different interests, and we have different information, and we have a different profile. Right. All that's, that's, use of all that is subject to your privacy policy, and it must pertain to your business. Interesting. We're talking about personalization there, I believe. The, the ads are customized for me. They're, I once w- looked on a particular site selling dresses, 
and every time I go on the web, their ads pop up. And no matter what I'm and looking at, it's... And that's about something called a cookie, and a, a good privacy policy talks about that, saying we may use things called cookies to help us track where you are, and that's why when you look at a pair of sneakers on Zappos, and all of a sudden you constantly see those sneakers everywhere you go, okay? But yeah, thank you. you. Zappos privacy policy, they'll tell you all about it. And interestingly enough, I tried to opt out of, of an email I get on a daily basis. I just haven't read it in a long time. And I'm always thinking, well, so I'll delete. Well, I'm deleting 20, 30, 40 a day that I don't read. So I figured once in a while I'll just opt out. Well, I click the click to unsubscribe, Peter, and it said server yeah. not found. The website was not there. The unsubscribe yeah. was not available. I tried it three times this morning. Now, is that a, a spam yeah. or scam? What is that? That's a can spam. That's blatant can spam liability, and that's a different topic if you want me to talk a little bit about it. Can spam talks about the fact that you have a right to shut off the spigot, to shut the faucet of emails from people you don't you don't want to hear from. And uh-huh. by law, and it's federal and state law, if you number one as a sender of emails, you must give your recipient an easy way through an opt-out click link to stop receiving emails, and you must abide by that request within 10 days. So if that link is not working, that company is in serious noncompliance with can spam subject to penalties, fines, and litigation. The other mm-hmm. interesting thing about can spam for people who are selling and who might acquire a list to to sell to, to find new leads, you need to make sure that if people have unsubscribed from your business and are are in that list that you're leasing, for example, you need to scrub that list for people who don't want to hear from you. Uh, So I'll kind of repeat that. You have uh, Sam the Plumber, okay, who has an email list. And let's say in the course of six months, 10 people opted out, and he did the right thing, and he took them off his list. Sam the Plumber then uses Joe the Electrician's list. He works at an arrangement to mail to the the electrician's customers to give off of them plumbing services. Well, let's say there are those same 10 people are on the electrician's list. By Mm -hmm. law, he needs to scrub or take those names off of his list or he's non-compliant. So, Bonnie, you have a lawsuit. If you want it, you can sue that company (laughs) and you will get penalty. You will get money. Not today, but I will check. I will try again for 10 days. This is fascinating, Peter. Absolutely fascinating. Kirsten, chime in. What do you think? Are you learning or did you know all this already? I mean, I, in sorry, a I very, just... very general sense, I understood it and, uh, and, and have heard of it before, but um, I'm just listening in fascination about all of the different nuances and, and the, um, uh, you know, the, the things you have to think about when you go to to um, to interact with someone online. Uh, it's something that we do when it comes to social selling. We um, we reach out to people and and you know try and uh, build relationships with them and um, and try to to educate them and, and give them information that they appear to be looking for. And so you know I, I'm curious to see um, you know I'd love to hear what what uh, Renee and Peter have to say about this, but, uh, you know, how this plays out in the future as well is, um, you know, if, do, if people have, have signed up for a LinkedIn profile and they are um, 
uh, you know, by signing up for that LinkedIn profile and, and you know, agreeing to the, the policies of, of LinkedIn.com, uh, and they, they open themselves up to, to receiving information um, from people, how, if you send those, those notes to them, you know, is there a liability issue um, from, a, from a corporate perspective? Um, if they're not on any particular, you know, we're not doing a mass mailing. These are very, very direct and targeted to the people that we're, we're contacting. Uh, is, there, is there something that we're, you know, getting, we potentially could get in trouble for? Renee, you want to well, tackle that one and then Peter? Or Peter, you want to go first? Either way. You're the boss. Pete, Renee, did you want to chime in? Because I was going to circle around to you anyway. Thoughts, Renee? You know, I was going to say, um, Peter's probably better to answer that question. Because, um, again, that's sort of a, it falls under the whole can spam situation as to how you could do it. Okay. Peter, you're on. Well, I think if we're talking about using the LinkedIn platform to send information people who are following you, for example, that's not particular. That's kind of out of the purview of CanSpam. That's more in, a, in the element of uh, following, you know, best practices in terms of content, not not being misleading. That's brand protection because uh, that's you know LinkedIn as its own universe is just a platform for people to share information. So everybody's kind of agreed to you know the rules of the game. But, but there you have to remember the rules of engagement and what's customary. You know, like the old, and then my kids yell at me because I sent a text message and I might have left the caps lock on. I say, well, you're yelling at me. I say, no, I'm not. <laughs> but, you know, caps means yelling. So you need to know That's the right. rules of the, of the playing field in LinkedIn of what's appropriate and what's not. And if you don't, then you can have backlash from a lot of people who are going to say, leave us alone. We don't want to hear from you because you broke the rules of the marketplace. Can't spam applies to email email marketing. Uh, a LinkedIn communication applies to what's custom and practice. So there might be elements where you're doing it too much, where, you know, because it's self-policing. I was just on my LinkedIn profile. I do it periodically to see what my privacy settings were to make sure that I'm only getting information from who I want to. So mm-hmm. that's a very proactive thing. But you should be checking your metrics to make sure that if you see a spike in people unfollowing you or complaining, it might be because you're overreaching in your messaging. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Renee, any comments on what Peter just shared? Because I want to move to one important. We only have time for one more topic left, a quick one from Kirsten's list. So, Renee, anything you want to say? Um, you know, it's all, it's, as you can see, it can get very complicated and convoluted, and it, it's very specific to the medium that you're using. Uh, one thing I will mention is about the, um, you know, the, the legal legislation that that came into being that addresses some of this is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, but it really sort of pertains only, you know, to copyright violations and and how um, if you are the owner of a website, you know, you need to have information, and this needs to go into your privacy policy, your terms of uh, of use policy, um, that... You know, if someone is claiming that there is an infringement on your website that you're hosting, um, for you not to be um, contributorily infringing uh, or to be dragged into a lawsuit for that that type of of situation, um, you you need to have different um, options uh, for people to opt out and and all of these different things. They're all it's outlined in the in the Digital Millennium Privacy or Paul. Copyright Act, but mm-hmm. 
and you can also, you know, to sort of protect yourself further by registering uh, a designated agent with the copyright office so that people know where to go um, if they find an infringement on your website. But, you know, these are all things in web, you know, I get, I hear that too, that, oh, I just copied the, pri- the terms of, of service and the privacy policy from, oh, something I saw online or I pieced it together and then you mm-hmm. just go, oh my gosh, you know, and that's just not a good, you know, way to handle things because what you do is different from what the cable company does or the plumber down the street does, and you mm-hmm. you need to have all of that in there, um, you know, to protect yourself um, more than 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 really anything else. So that's thank uh, you, Re- thank you, Renee. Good good comments and good perspective, Kirsten. I want to touch on one more topic here, and I have a feeling we're going to have to defer this to part two if you and Renee and Peter agree to come back, and I'll send you some dates for. Uh, for continuing this conversation, but on the top of Kirsten's list, and Peter and Renee, I know you saw this in the notes before the show, she says, I believe if an organization actually has, now think about that, actually has a social media policy, <laughs> she, she emphasized in caps and she's yelling, Peter, has a social media <laughs> policy, question mm-hmm. mark, yeah. then as long as, em- as long as employees stay within those policy and guidelines, they should be okay within the law. That was one statement from Kirsten. The second one is social, uh, no, in some countries, the laws are so extremely strict that to her mind they are limiting the participation of their citizens in a phenomenon that is moving the world forward so in the second statement she's being an advocate for social selling social network social media moving the world forward implied moving business forward because that's what we that's what we're talking about here and then the question is if a company has a social media policy so if we back up from that everyone then the question is if they have a policy who wrote it how much law do they know are they aware of can spam are they aware of of IP intellectual property are they aware that everything on the web is not your property children are they aware of all that so the question is how good is the policy we're actually four minutes away from the end of the show so I'm going to just ask uh, instead of predictions I'm going to change the last segment instead of looking to the crystal ball I'm going to ask Renee first then Peter and then a comment from Kirsten one minute each please how many companies do you think have a social media policy and how good is their policy? How up to date and how knowledgeable? Renee, what's your, your thought on that? What do you observe? Um, I think the larger the company, the more likely they are to have a social media policy just because there is a legal team in place that, that should be advising on these things. It's when you get to the smaller entrepreneurial startups that, you know, they're not always so worried about these types of things because they don't see how it, it fits into their, their sales goals and their bottom line, but it's something that really, really, um, you know, could derail an entire, um, you know, entrepreneurial effort if, if something were to go wrong. So um, I think that, you know, it just really depends on how your you know, who your counsel is. And if you have good counsel, they're going to point you in the direction of, please make sure that you put these policies in place. Thank you, Renee. Peter Hoppenfeld, thoughts? How many companies do you observe or casually or professionally that actually have a policy and how good are those policies? Uh, I can only speak for for the clients that I work with, which are small to medium-sized companies. And I actually mm-hmm. think they are more equipped to be really hands-on in what they will and will not allow to be messaged on the various social media platforms because they are using social media platforms to deliver their, their voice, their message in a, in, a, in a marketing way 
that are is a comprehend that are typically comprehensive multi-channel messages, so that they're not worried about having a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand employees, and one person might slip a stupid you know tweet out, perchance um, mm-hmm. in a political campaign. Um, but you know, <laughs> oh, please so, don't go so there. <laughs> they, you know, so they are using their tweets. They're using Instagram. They're using uh, Facebook, Google Ads. They're using. Pinterest and Snapchat in a way that is part of their marketing plan. So the messaging mm-hmm. is very controlled. They have editorial calendars, and nothing's going out that hasn't been reviewed, vetted, and approved. And you just said it all: reviewed, vetted, approved, and controlled. Kirsten, Correct. what do you think? You're you're involved in this in the trenches, as I said before, as we know from speaking with you on so many of our shows. What are your thoughts on social media policies? What do you observe? Um, well, I only have real experience with SAP, and, and we do have mm-hmm. a social media policy, and we um, we just uh, launched a, a brand new one uh, a couple months ago. Uh, but from what I've heard externally, not as many companies as you would think actually have a social media policy. Um, I, I'm not sure how common it is nowadays, but a few years ago when I first started getting involved with social media, um, a lot of companies were... Um, avoiding the issue altogether and just shutting down social within their uh, firewall altogether, uh, and, and so never, never allowing their their um, employees to use social media. Uh, so I think it, it goes both. It can, you know, there's all, a, a wide range. I guess is the right word for it um, of <laughs> of social media savviness across different companies, whether they're big, small, little, in between, starting up, whatever. I would say that probably most startups, they may not have a social media policy, but they, they certainly use social media. Um, but you know, that can, can run into dangerous uh, waters, too, um, because they don't have that social media policy. So, yeah, it, it uh, really runs the gamut to my, to, from my own experience. Thank you, Kirsten. I want to thank Peter Hoppenfeld, Renee L. Duff, Esquire, and Kirsten Boileau, in no particular order, for sharing your expertise, your observations. This was as much a what do we need to talk about as what do we need to know conversation. I really appreciate your candor, Peter and Renee and, and Kirsten. I think we have at least a two or three parter here. Renee, what do you think? Should we get back together and do this again? Continue. <laughs> There's plenty of stuff to cover, as you as you see. So certainly, would love it. Peter, would you like to come back if I invite you? Absolutely. Wonderful. Good. Kirsten, she she works with me. We'll know she's got her own series, <laughs> Social Selling with Game Changers. Kirsten, we could put one of these topics on your show as well, but I'd love to keep it on Coffee Break, our flagship series. So thank you to my three astute and very. Uh, very caring panelists. You care about this topic very much. Thank you for sharing your insights, your expertise. Renee L. Duff, Esquire, Peter Hoppenfeld, and Kirsten Boylow. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. That's it for our Wednesday. Tomorrow we have two shows. What are we doing? The Future of Business with Game Changers, talking about uh, opportunities for women to have mentors to become executive leaders if they want to, and what's available. Uh, We're calling it Diversity and Inclusion in the Boardroom, and then we have a new show on Changing the Game with HR tomorrow afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel, talking about the candidate experience winning the war on talent. Really good topic. So here's my call to action. Oh, you know it by heart, but let me say it anyway. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Stay cool. Bye-bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.